Hello, this is Adam, Dungeon Master for the Godsfall campaign. I play, um, I'm blanking. Why am I blanking? I should remember this. I'm playing Autumn in the Shenanigans campaign run by Shannon, and I'm playing Victor Starr in the Samurai and Cowboys, also affectionately called Sam Cow, campaign run by Six. Um, this is just going to be a short little thing. Uh, I'm the one who runs the podcast, so I get to decide what goes on on as far as content. And so we're trying something a little different, and by we I mean me. We're just going to do something a little more improv, uh, off the cuff, on talking about some DM tips for anyone who might be interested. This is... I've got a rough outline. We're going to kind of just follow it as best as we can, and we're going to see how long this actually takes. Uh, and yeah. So you're going to get to see me kind of improvising my speech. So first thing to start off with is we're going to do some just general points and discussion on what it means to be a DM. So the idea of being the DM is that you are the one who is not necessarily telling the story, but you are facilitating it. You are the you're the one who made the plot. Your players, appropriately, your player characters are the ones who supply the character. They are the ones who make the decisions, make the action. You can kind of be more proactive as a DM and let all of the NPCs that you control also make decisions. This is especially good if you have a complex villain, like someone, say, Stradvan Zerovich. Um, but you can be a little bit more passive and just be like, this is what the evil king is doing. He will not change his plans no matter what the other party does, which, you know, makes it a little bit easier on you, maybe slightly less engaging, but definitely less frustrating for your players. Because nothing deflates a player character's ego quite like, haha, we've figured out how to break this plan of yours, and the villain's just like, haha, sucks to be you, I have 15 more, because the DM has had weeks to plan this, because it took y'all three sessions to get through the one dungeon. So, that is, uh, that's one thing, and we're going to kind of use, that's going to be one quick sidebar tip, is uh, make sure that you use the time that you have to prep and plan ahead, and when your players tell you, we are going to do this, be like, great! Plan for what they say they're going to do, and then plan for what the consequences will be. Because that's always fun. If that's the kind of campaign that you go for. I should say, that's if the that's the kind of campaign you go for. Um, ultimately, though, my biggest tip is that uh, anyone can DM. And anyone, I think, who is interested should try to DM. I'm not going to say everyone should DM, because that's not for everyone. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, uh, everybody at our table, except for Sid, who plays uh, Valencia in God's Fall, and plays, uh, I'm going to misremember, uh, Ellie in uh, Shenanigans, but who does she play in? The Pyromaniac, the Druid, oh gosh. What is her name? It'll come to me later. It'll wake me up at 3 in the morning, and I'll just scream it, and then the dog and the cat will look at me confused. And it's good that Whitney's out of town, otherwise she'd look at me confused too when I just yell Sid's character name in the middle of the night. Um, I'll worry about it later. So, um, 
but that anyone can DM. Everyone but her in our party has DM'd at least once uh, for something or another. And it's always been enjoyable. Like I, I, n There hasn't been anyone where I've been like, that was terrible. Um, but that's kind of one of my big things is that anyone who is interested should try to DM. And anyone who is interested can DM. It does just take practice. Uh, and so I'm kind of hoping to share some of that knowledge here uh, to help practice and maybe, just maybe, we'll get something more out of our, or out of your campaigns. Uh, the first thing that I want to give you the advice on is to uh, know your story. Uh, that's really important, you as the DM. The story is your responsibility. Um, there's kind of three ways to go about it. There are straight up adventure books where you have a clear cut, um, here's the characters, here's the setting, here's the dungeons, like everything is prepared for you. You just have to prepare to present it to the party and know what's happening. Um, these are a lot of fun to run. They're honestly kind of the easiest in some ways and hardest in others. Uh, the way they're easy is that all that prep work is done for you. It's pretty great to be able to just crack open a book and just look at it and be like, okay, cool. So this is what Strahd is doing. This is what his character's like. I don't have to make that up. Uh, and then you can be like, okay, so this is Velaki. This is the town. This is what all these characters are doing. And it's really interesting and engaging. And it's already done for me and I don't have to worry about it. But the problem, the, the way that it's harder is that it gives you more of a problem when it comes to coming up with and remembering all of the stuff and then there's also player engagement which we'll we'll get to later but you need to you do need to come with a way to engage the players slash the player characters in the adventure book um if you have a character whose backstory is they're a dragon slayer and you go to do avernus where there are devils and demons um you're going to need to figure out some way to convince your dragon slayer to actually care about going to avernus and one way you can do that is to provide you know character uh backstory like ahead of time of just like make sure that you fit with this where i'm, I'm telling you what kind of campaign what to expect build something that would fit for this and that will be engaging to this um and you can handle all of that in session zeros which will might be its own uh, DM Tips episode. This is just kind of a generic intro. Um, but as for adventure books, that's how they're kind of easier and harder. One thing I do recommend is, uh, as the old pirate saying goes, they're more like guidelines than actual rules, where you can add stuff, especially character uh, background stuff, to make it more interesting and engaging. Uh, don't just be like, here's how you're in the adventure. Now let's do the adventure. Uh, you can keep it going. Uh, one of the things we did with our Curse of Strahd campaign was we did a... Uh, we added that Strahd had children. He had five or six kids running around that were actual threats. Um, and they all did stuff, and they were all kind of in some way or another tied to the other player characters. Um, in fact, one of them actually was a child of Strahd. And then Six joined our campaign, and he was another child of Strahd. Uh, that was fun. Uh, and it was just, it, that, that's just always a thing you can do. Is you can always add more to an adventure book. Uh, a lot of the groundwork is done for you. Uh, 
Uh, kind of in the next step is just campaign settings. This is like Matt Mercer's uh, Taldore setting with Critical Role, um, which is really good. He's done a lot of work, and if you love that setting, go for it. Uh, same with, uh, I mean, the there is Faerun itself, the, the Sword Coast in uh, the main D&D world. There's, oh, uh, what's the cyberpunk, not cyberpunk, what's the steampunk one? Um, that's going to be the, the name I yell out after I get done yelling Sid's character at three in the morning. Um, but there, there's that one. There's um, the Theros one, which is a very Greek mythology one, which is pretty cool. There is, there's also to an extent now with Von Richten's, it's its own kind of demi-plane campaign setting of all the stuff with Ravenloft and all the different domains of dread. And even then, that's like a bunch of little miniature campaign settings that you can do. Um, the way that those are useful is that they give you all the world building stuff up front, and now you as the as the DM can come up with the plot. Um, gives you a lot more flexibility when it comes to that. Gives you a lot more flexibility when it comes to player engagement, because for some of them, like you know, domains of dread, it's well, you're invested because you all are trapped here until you figure out how to get out. Um, Nothing says player engagement quite like you're doomed, um, unless you do something. Uh, but those are kind of like a good like middle ground where you are uh, able to come up with whatever plot you have that fits the campaign setting. It's not Alexandria. I'm getting off topic. Um, Eberron! That's its name. Sorry. The, steam, the, the steampunk one. The arcanopunk, magical steampunk one is Eberron. Uh, and, we, uh, and yeah, that's a fun one too. Danny, that's her name too. I knew when I remembered one, I'd remember the other. Danny is Sid's character. Told you this was going to be really off the cuff improvised. Uh, so our next one is the homebrew. This is kind of the conceptual opposite of the adventure book, where instead of having everything all nice, neat, and prepared, uh, you got to come up with everything. You got to come up with the world setting, da 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 da, da. the the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, we've done a few of them in our campaigns. We did my Fairylands campaign where we had a uh, kind of fantasy fairy tales all mixed together, different fairy courts and whatnot. That was fun. Then we had a then another one that I did was God's Fall. God's Fall is a homebrew campaign. And Shannon's Shenanigans campaign is also homebrew and a kind of a collaborative homebrew is our uh samurai and cowboys where i came up with the initial concept and then six just ran with it and it's been really awesome um someday i might go back and dm another thing from that i've got kind of a rough idea of what we could do with it but that being said all of that is made up and when it comes to homebrews i highly recommend that you start with an initial idea and just evolve it out from there which i know sounds really basic but never just do generic fantasy setting that's kind of what the adventure books are more or less for um or at least the campaign settings are definitely more or less for especially the basic um sword coast adventure book but when home with homebrew you you can change the rules you can change the settings there is a pretty big I don't want to say market, that might, might be the right, right word, but there's a big community uh, revolving around homebrew campaign settings that other people have made of like, this is what our gaming uh, sessions are like, we're going to share them, 
we think they're cool. And usually they are because you can come up with some really cool stuff. Like with God's Fall, we've got the concept of that deity status can be transferred. Uh, the gods can fall. It's hardcore rules where long rests are a week and short rests are a night. And it's because magic is just so weaker, so much weaker um, or rarer and in its own ways a lot stronger in some places, but a lot weaker in others. Um, we did it with, oh, there's another, uh, my friend Marcus had his, uh, it was Guild Guys campaign for a little bit where, you know, everything was all based around the guilds and like how they operated. Um, I feel like we've done another homebrew campaign setting, but I can't think of it. But that's how, uh, home, homebrew campaigns are both a really easy and that's like oh yeah unlimitless boundless freedom i can do whatever i want and as long as it makes some level of sense i can totally go for it uh but you still have to come up with all that shit so keep that in mind that's kind of my tip for homebrews uh by all means steal stuff and like if you come across like a really cool idea and you're like oh that would definitely fit with my campaign just, just go for it figure out some way of working it in if you think it'll work uh, naturally, don't cram it in there and just to have your party fight, I don't know, a Super Tarrasque because you think... Or no, not a Super Tarrasque. Let's have it be that they fight like a little Corgi Tarrasque, a Corgi-sized Tarrasque. Because you're like, oh, it's adorable and it's, and it's still a challenge level 15. Have fun, guys. Like, there needs to be like a reason for it. Um, that's it as far as knowing your story goes. Make sure you've got a good, healthy idea of what your story should look like and with homebrews you can always build start small and build up as you figure out more stuff and also let your players kind of tell you what it's like like they know their backstory if you told them to prepare it ahead of time and you can be like oh cool you're from what city awesome i'm gonna write that down and yeah yeah there's totally a healer's guild there yep yep they that that's where most of the healers go to learn their craft and do stuff and uh -huh. oh yeah 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 there's definitely airships they're totally not made up uh and so yeah that's one thing that you can just do with it is don't say no to input provided it's actually good input if someone comes up to you and it's like oh hey i would like for my character and the race that they're from to be like super fae who aren't like bound by the normal restrictions of fae and they're also vampires and my character is a half angel because the fae and angels are like best friends and my angel dad and my fae mom totally like fell in love and also like i was using a demon sacrifice because that's a totally normal thing and so i'm also like half demon uh don't do that uh definitely keep it reasonably uh realistically balanced and you know, honestly, most of your players are going to be reasonably, realistically balanced. No one's going to try to break anything uh, intentionally, or at least in a way that is not fun. Uh, which then leads me kind of into the next point of, instead of from knowing your story, uh, knowing your party. Uh, know your character's backgrounds. Know what they did, and you can use that to incorporate into your story. You should use that to incorporate into your story. Uh, figure out where they fit. And then, kind of from there, figure out uh, what the story means to them. Uh, make sure that they have something to keep them engaged in the hook. Uh, that reminds me of a very short-lived uh, campaign that we had. Uh, it was kind of a precursor to God's Fall. 
um, where Kyle's character, I forget his name, but he was a monk from up north, came down to help out with something as invited. They took care of the thing, and then the rest of the actual party adventure started happening. His character had no reason to stick around. Like, it was... And, like, he, he verbalized that, one, to the party, and two, to me. I'm just like, my character would leave. Like, the job's done. He's going to go home. Like, there's nothing keeping him here. Um, that part, that, that, that campaign ended not just because of that. Uh, there were other things. But, like, yeah, that was a legit problem. And I had trouble trying to figure out. And we started workshopping stuff, but then the campaign ended. Um, and that kind of ties into that of, like, talk with your players. Like, especially if you're having trouble figuring out, I don't know what to do with so-and-so. What would you like? Well, I, I don't know what to do with Bill. He's a level 10 fighter. And that kind of just seems to be all he is from my perspective. You, player, what would you like Bill to be? What do you want Bill to do? And he's like, well, I would like Bill to become a senator someday and go on to correct many of the woes of, of our governmental system. I don't know. And you're like, cool, I can work with that. We can definitely work with a lot of uh, governmental and party shenaniganry where you're dealing with that. And then they can be like, yeah, but I want Bill to suck at it. You're like, awesome, that's even better. <laughs> so, uh, get input from your players. Figure out what they want to do. And kind of just go from there and see what fits, what doesn't. And, yeah, open communication with your players. Highly recommend it. Figure out what they want to do. And if they want to make a tweak or a change to it, provided it's not too game-breaking, I'd probably allow it. Um, there are optional rules for like, it's like, oh, I want to change my subclass. My current subclass isn't that great. And I kind of want to feel like this fits Janet more, uh, then usually it'll be like, yeah, sure. Something, there's gotta be a story reason for it. And then there are optional rules for letting you do that now of like changing your subclass or changing your, uh, proficiencies or changing a fighting style or eldritch evocations, whatever you have for your player or whatever you have for your character, uh, just to add that little bit extra flexibility. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's a pretty good level of just talk to your players, figure out what they want. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and hear from a sponsor. All right. And we are back. Um, so after knowing your story, knowing your party, next step is knowing the challenges uh, figure out what it is that your players are actually going to be going up against. Uh, a good main villain can make or break a campaign. Um, the best example I can think of a good villain making a campaign work uh, is Strahd from the Curse of Strahd uh, campaign. He is very well written. He's interesting. He is, a, he is written to be an proactive antagonist he is messing with the party directly and should be played that way of like tempting them with what they want and trying to get them to join his side and turn against the other ones da, da, da. and even if it doesn't work the fact that he's trying to mess with the party directly gives him a lot more personality and makes him a lot more interesting uh comparing that to the main villain in tyranny of dragons uh, the first campaign for 5th edition with uh, Tiamat as the main villain. Tiamat's not even really the main villain. It's her cult, and it's some guy who runs the cult. 
he is mentioned he writes a letter to antagonize the party like once and he's not seen until the very end where the party either kills him or fails to kill him and then Tiamat shows up um he sucks as a as a villain like i don't even remember his name and i ran the dang thing um and i don't know if my player my player characters even remember that he was an entity he he was that much of a non thing in the campaign always make sure that your villain if you want them to have a good engaging villain have that do that um don't just have it to be like oh i've got this really cool angsty buddy who's like sitting in his castle and does nothing uh no have your angsty blah 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 go out and actually do stuff they need to be proactive doing stuff with the party never just let them chill and be the thing to fight at the end uh even freaking final fantasy one did this properly by having uh garland be your first boss and then what he was the bad guy big bad guy all along because wibbly wobbly timey wimey shenanigans and it kind of gives like just just that little bit of we've already run into you before and fought you before and now you're back that that's enough to like make just even some bit of an impact on the players of just like whoa it's this guy he was actually kind of important and now apparently he's super important we kind of almost forgot about him but whoa um and yeah having an having an evil protagonist or not evil protagonist having an evil villain or antagonist who is very active and direct and messing with the party uh one is a lot of fun from a dm perspective because you get to mess with the party in a lot of fun ways uh like, if a player character has a uh, loved one, that's a weakness that your villain will totally exploit. If your player characters have, like, a home base, cool, that home base is now a target. Um, and it could even be, like, petty stuff. Like, there's a favorite tavern that the party goes to. Well, the tavern's got, got bought out. It's not gone. It got bought out. And is now being turned into a fancy schmancy snooty highfalutin hotel or or inn uh, where the rough and tumble kind of characters like your party are not allowed anymore. Uh, gosh, I want to do that for a campaign now. Um, we're going to get the old tavern back. We're going to save it. Sounds like a 1980s college movie. We're gonna get the, we got to save the bar. It's our friend. Anyway. There, someone take that, steal that. Um, yeah, long story short, villains. Villains are really important. For your monsters, definitely know what they are ahead of time. Uh, especially if you're doing a homebrew, I feel like it's really important to figure out how common are monsters in this world. Um, like, are trolls, are roving bands of trolls a common thing? Are, are there giants in them, their hills? Are, are dragons, like, relatively common? Or are they just, like, very isolated? Or are they, like... My grandpa saw a dragon once. It was really just a wyvern. Um, like, yeah. That's one of the things we have for our God's Fall campaign. Is that monsters are kind of rare. And so seeing a monster is supposed to be, like, this big deal of, like, What? This isn't... This is way outside of our normal. As opposed to fairy lands, where, like... Ugh, the goblins are back this winter. We're gonna have to go... Burn out the nest and get rid of them this time. 
they'll be back next year. And yeah, that's that back and forth flip flop of where, how many monsters do you have, or how common are monsters? Uh, with that, then is how common is magic? A lot of relatively mundane challenges can be overcame, overcome with the proper application of a magic spell, um, like a wizard being able to get through a normal non-magically protected keep is surprisingly really easy you just cast invisibility and then you have silence and knock to open to unlock any uh doors and i don't think you even need to actually have i'm not going to check it right now this just popped in my head i think you would just need like one casting of silence uh on like an object that you just like put near the door back up cast knock and it opens and then you pick up the object. Like that'll hinder your ability to cast spells if you care as you carry the object, but like you're invisible. Theoretically, no one's gonna see you. Um, same for like teleportation or just infiltration. You can just be like, like the rogue could just be like, all right, I can sneak in and I can get in and out and it'll be no problem and we'll be fine. And the wizard can be like, Psh! and then by the time the rogue is done explaining the plan, the wizard has already cast uh, uh gate and like just be like okay guys everybody single fire single file don't forget to tip your uh, stewardesses as you as you walk out and so yeah like magic can get through a lot of get through around a lot of problems so if you add magical elements that can make it more challenging uh one that that actually gives weirdly enough that gives your rogue an opportunity to be a rogue of like all right i can get past the mundane problems you wizard you're gonna help us get past the magical problems because we need you to save your spell slots for the big stuff so i'm going to sneak us in and you're gonna undo any you're gonna dispel magic and counter spell and uh cast invisibility on all of us and da 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 you're you're gonna be the the one getting us through the things uh through the bigger magical problems um because then, yeah, you're going to have to conserve. The wizard is going to have to conserve their spells for stuff that the, only the wizard can really handle. And the rogue gets a chance to shine as the rogue. Um, but that's one of the things that I recommend is figure out like how common is magical defenses, how common just is magic in general in your ward world. Um, it's one of the things we did with God's Fall is magic is super rare, uh, but because it's super rare, it's also really hard to like access. And so when they're infiltrating a the current dungeon that they're in that actually has magical defenses. Um, they, they're, they're getting turned around. There's cobwebs. There's invisible doors. There's going to be some other stuff that gets in the way. And so they have to be like, okay, it's clearly a problem here. Magic could solve this, but we also need to conserve our magic because it's really rare and hard to use. So what do we do? And then they have to come up with a clever solution, a mundane solution, or bite the bullet and cast a spell. Um, which I think is a lot of fun and an, an interesting way to solve a lot of problems is by by giving them like clear options of A, B, C. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to make that decision then of what do we pick rather than it just being like I don't know what to do. Where do we go? What do we do? Like there's still some of that. Definitely still have some of that. But when you make it a clearer issue of you're getting stabbed by a bunch of illusory duplicates. A well-placed fireball could totally solve a lot of this problem. But that's going to cost you a third-level spell. 
Um, and those are really hard to come by, especially for you guys in this campaign. Uh, and then the opposite's also true. Of, like, if you have like just a butt-ton of magic all over the place, and that's a common thing, it's like, okay, so we just cast this spell. What are they going to plan ahead for us now? Uh, and you as the DM, that there is nothing saying that you can't double down on the magic and be a little bit more obsessive with it. Uh, one of my favorite things that we did for our Curse of Strahd is the, the book pretty much outright tells you Strahd is a wizard with all the spells between first and sixth level. Uh, he knows all of them. Or, like, that, that entire library is his spell book. And so he knows all of them. And so you can just go in and just be like, awesome. Strahd's going to have uh, guards and wards. He's going to start putting up that. He's going to have uh, warding seals. He's going to have da-da-da. He's going to have invisibility cast on himself. Or he's going to cast invisibility on one of his allies. Who's going to then sneak up and backstab the party. Uh, he's going to have like all of this stuff planned out ahead. And he's got nearly infinite resources because he is rich as all get out. And so you just make it a little bit harder for the party. In all the fun ways. Um... And so, yeah, knowing your challenges is really important because it it's kind of the fun. And a good villain can make for a good social challenge. Knowing your monsters can make for good combat and also some social challenges. Um, and knowing your magic can just be really good for puzzles and problem solving and just presenting your players with a, how do you do this? And they're like, oh, no. And then they do it. Uh, which then leads us into our next point. Uh, is the power of improv, which is kind of what this entire thing is an experiment of, as I keep rambling on. Uh, the main thing I want to say is that there are no bad ideas. Asterisk. There are bad ideas. There are bad ideas that are offensive. There are bad ideas that might make other players uncomfortable. There are bad ideas that are just, like, really derailing of the campaign. Not in, like, a fun way, but in a, like, I'm just going to walk up and I'm going to stab the king. Why? He hasn't done anything. I'm going to be in charge now. He... He... No. I, I cast Dominate Person on everybody in the room and everyone starts worshipping me. It's just like... Uh, as the DM, you can say no. You should almost always say yes. But you can say no. For the most part, there are no bad ideas. If a player character fumbles a role... That can be really interesting and raise the stakes and you can help communicate that to them. Uh, if you as the player, like if your big impressive uh, villain gets smited almost immediately by the paladin, um, that's still a funny thing. And on top of that, you can always just pull some random bullcrap of like, oh no, they had a second form all along. What'll we do? Um, and yeah. Uh, and kind of with that, though, there's always, like, the wonderful idea of you can always walk something back. I know I keep bringing up Strahd, but it was a really big campaign for us, and it's where I learned a lot of my stuff, uh, was just running that whole campaign. And we had a part where one of the players had, one of the player characters had been kidnapped by one of Strahd's kids. and was being held in an asylum. And so the rest of the party was going to go and rescue them. Now... The way I had envisioned this was that we were going to go in, they were going to go in, 
and they were going to be kind of fighting some of the different madmen who were running the asylum and uh, kind of getting their way through that as a group while the rogue, the character who had been kidnapped, was uh, Metal Gear soliding their way through, like actually sneaking through, maybe getting like some backstabs, like, like getting situations that they could handle on their own and then the party could handle on their own. And then they would meet up, get out, woo. Um, that didn't happen <laughs> because the rogue was doing his thing. That was fine. Uh, one of the other players, who in character, and totally fine, totally fine in character, um, was mad at the rest of the party, was just kind of done. And so went ahead by herself, uh, got bum-rushed by the, by the inmates of the asylum, uh, and died. Um, just in time for the ranger to, sh to, to arrive, see her die. The ranger then failed his wisdom save to not turn into a werewolf. And so turn into a werewolf just in time for the monster hunter character to just suddenly see there's a werewolf here and not realize that it's her friend. And so we, they were about to fight and kill each other. Um, and we'd already lost a party member. And the whole time, the rogue, who is doing stealth acrobatics and backflips while totally naked, because that's how he was being uh, held, uh, slash tortured. Uh, and like it, like we had, a, we had a character death. We were about to have two party members start fighting each other. Uh, and so I was like, okay, pause. We ended the session there. And then we went back a bit undid the tr undid the werewolf transformation and then strahd offered and i'm glad that this is actually a thing in von richten's guide now because it's like haha i was ahead of the curve where strahd actually offered the dead character uh i can bring you back but it's going to cost you something and so she took the deal ended up destroying the spirit pool in uh kresk that would have been an escape opportunity for Tatiana slash Irina, and it did not end well for that. Um, and so, like, there were still consequences for it, but it was very much a, like, haha, you can come back. So you could always walk stuff back, take a minute to think, talk to the players of, like, kind of talk to them of, like, what went wrong? We can't undo all of it. What went wrong? How can we fix it? And kind of just resetting canon from there um and there's nothing wrong with that open communication with your players is a great thing and i highly recommend it um so yeah so to kind of wrap up this up as we're getting kind of long um be sure to uh to some last minute tips uh prepare ahead of time it's invaluable always prep 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 um and even if you don't end up using it you can save it for later it is never wasted for you to prep something and it's like all right i've got this really cool dungeon it's like actually we're not going to go there we're going to go completely different all right we're going to improvise i'm going to save that dungeon for later or even then it's like okay cool i'm going to reskin this dungeon and use it instead of as a swamp cavern it's now a sea cavern because you guys wanted to go to the beach and have a beach day um and now there are crab people instead of goblins i don't know see just that just like two things and like all of a sudden we have a completely different adventure with a different vibe of instead of a swamp 
cavern with goblins, we now have crab people and a beach day, which probably went from like a dark, serious, like nasty thing to like a potentially really funny uh, setting and idea. Because now you have beach episode shenanigans and silly crab monsters. So yeah, all so anything you use, you can always just save it for later. Um, and then just and I can't stress this enough: work and talk with your players as much as you can to nail down character motivation, character engagement. Uh, and if you're running a homebrew or any campaign for that matter, but especially homebrews, how their story influences your story. Because D&D is a collaborative, or any tabletop role-playing, is a collaborative workshop kind of deal. Collaborative storytelling. And it's really useful and really helpful for building that world out, fleshing it out. When you get multiple points of input and you are able to synthesize it together into something greater than the sum of its parts. So, with that, thank you for listening. Enjoy and see y'all at the table.